you've had an almost event take place. An almost event. An almost event are those things where you got close to accomplishing something or going someplace or doing something, but it didn't quite happen. And so maybe you almost got straight A's at one point in your, in your growing up years. Maybe you almost won the championship in that, that sporting league or event. Maybe you almost went to that concert or you, you almost took that trip. Maybe you almost became a firefighter or, or whatever it might be. Now, sometimes those almost experiences are pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of all that life holds. And sometimes those almost experiences really are beyond our control. Um, I think I have mentioned to you before an almost event that we had several times in my life growing up of a trip that our family had hoped to take to a place called Catalina Island. Um, this is off the coast of Southern California. Uh, back in our day, it was sort of an, a nature refuge that you could go and visit, and, but you had to make reservations to get the ferry out. And um, I can think of at least four occasions um, where we almost went there. We had the reservations on one of the trips. Um, we even had a, a place to stay, which was very hard to come by in, in those days. Um, but because of my dad's law, line of work, he was a federal law enforcement officer. Um, he was on call 20 24-7, and, and so it seemed like every time we would be just about ready to go, uh, a significant case would come up that he would have to attend to. I remember in particular one time where we had the, the car packed. I think everyone but my dad was in the car. It was running. We were ready to pull out, and the phone rang, um, and I'm sure he must have debated whether to answer it or not, but um, he did, and that was the end of, of that trip. We almost went to Catalina on several occasions. Maybe you've had those almost situations in your life as well. Well, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. You see, there were uh, what I believe several almost occurrences uh, that we read about in that Holy Week period leading up uh, to Easter morning. And uh, maybe there's some things that God would have us to learn from these occasions that happened in the lives of others. So let's take some time and look at a, a few of these almost events uh, that happened as we read through God's word. One of the first of those, which is probably not a surprise given that it's Palm Sunday, is the fact that as the, the crowd was welcoming Jesus in on that a very first Palm Sunday, that they almost recognized him as the Messiah. Almost. Let's read what the text has to say to us. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter, we read these words. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They were so close to grasping who Jesus truly was, but just didn't quite get to that point. And now it's interesting that this was probably the, the one and only time that Jesus was really acknowledged and celebrated in the, the fashion that he was deserving of as the Son of God, as the Messiah, um, as, as the Savior. They, they had this great welcoming 
of him. And they, they recognized him and acknowledged him in ways that would be appropriate. Uh, they, they laid down uh, branches. We know from some other readings that some of those were palm branches. They laid down their cloaks. And they would do this uh, in recognition and honor and homage of, of great individuals, typically uh, kings. And Jesus was a king, but just not the kind of king that they had anticipated or expected. Uh, to find the king that they were looking for, it probably would have been more appropriate uh, to have had Jesus coming in on, on a big stallion. Uh, but even riding on a donkey was not completely out of place. It fit with a prophecy that was foretold in the book of Zechariah, the ninth chapter, the ninth verse, that there would come a mighty leader, a victorious one who would be humble in spirit as well. And that was certainly descriptive of Jesus. And so they had this idea, I think, of, of, a, of a coming king, but, but missed the true king he came to be. Because Jesus' dominion wasn't over some limited physical space. He was a king of much more, as the book of Revelations reminds us. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And it's interesting as we read a little bit further and, and go throughout the story. And I would encourage you to do that. I've always found it helpful to me. Um, read the, the Holy Week story. It begins in Matthew, the 21st chapter, and then uh, continues on. As we read through that, we, we come to a place where Pilate is having a conversation. Well, that's really not a conversation. Jesus isn't saying much, but Pilate's talking a lot. And he has this, this exclamation that he, he makes to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And you may remember that on that place of crucifixion, that above Jesus' head there on the cross, he nailed a, a plaque that said those very words, the king of the Jews. Even Pilate recognized, I think, something more than the crowd was able to grasp. They were so close, they knew that he was a king, but just the wrong kind of king. And even in the proclamations that they made, there was a, an element of appropriateness to that, but, but not quite right. Remember, they shouted out the, the words, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's interesting if you go to the Greek uh, for this word Hosanna, the Greek word for Hosanna is Hosanna. Um, it's sort of like saying hooray or yay. Um, that sort of translates into whatever language you might be looking at. But there's an underlying meaning uh, there in the, in the root, which means to save. And again, there was some appropriateness to that. Jesus did come to save, but just not in the way that they envisioned they thought that Jesus was coming to save them from the oppression, the, the tyranny of the Roman Empire that weighed so heavily on their shoulders at that time. But that's not what Jesus came to save them from. He came them to save them from uh, the, the penalty of their sins. You see, they were so close, but they, they missed it. They thought he was a good man. They thought he was a man of God, just not the son of God. We know that as we read in the, the text where it talked about the fact that they saw him as a prophet, but not truly the Messiah. And even those that, that maybe saw elements of, of something more than, than the, the crowd in general, I don't think they fully grasped, they fully appreciated who Jesus truly was. He had come to save not just them, but to save the world. They were so close. They almost got it, but not quite. 
But that's not the only occasion that we see almost lived out here in this uh, Holy Week narrative. If we go a little bit uh, farther, we see the, uh, the story of Pilate um, and how he almost let Jesus go. Uh, let's read about that in Luke, the 23rd chapter. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no basis for charge against this man, this man being Jesus. Uh, but they, the crowd, insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For a third time, he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. And I think the only reason Pilate was going to have any punishment inflicted was to kind of try to appease the crowd. Uh, but the loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. Three times we read that, Jesus, or that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Three times. And if that hadn't been enough, he even got some, some outside counsel that any good husband would listen to because it was words from his wife. There's a, a little known passage that also is a part of this that we read about in Matthew 27 that says this. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. You see, the, the truth was that Pilate had all kinds of reasons to release Jesus. In fact, in his heart, we sort of sense, we, we recognize that that was what his inclination was. He had the added impetus of, of hearing his, his wife's words to, to accompany that, and yet he didn't do it. Why? Well, I think because he gave in to the pressure of the crowds. He gave in to all of the additional cries for something to happen, stirred up initially by the, the religious leaders, but then egged on by the, the crowd that went along with them. And, you know, I think sometimes we see that same um, example of behavior in our own society today. And so we see uh, companies uh, give in to the, the demands of their, of their stockholders, or, or we see uh, politicians give in to the demands of their constituents, or we see athletes been a, behave in a way that they know that they probably shouldn't, but that seem to be appealing to the demands of the, uh, of the crowds. I think it's so easy to fall into that trap, and certainly a pilot fell into that in this case would have been so easy for him to have let Jesus go. In fact, that was his job, to be quite honest. And his role there within uh, the, the community of Jerusalem, he was the one that was supposed to institute justice. But he didn't. He almost got it right, but fell short. And then there's a third example that we see of, of an almost moment, I think, occurring here in, in Holy Week. It's right before uh, that which took place with Pilate. And it's while Jesus was there with his disciples uh, in Gethsemane, spending some time praying. Jesus knew what was coming. He was not looking forward to that. His heart ached. His, his soul was burdened. And so we read these words in the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 32. 
and it should be 32 through 41, not 31 there. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray, for my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found again them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Three times Jesus appealed to them to, to be there with him, to, to just sort of stand in, in, in solidarity with him as he went uh, to pray, to pour out his heart to the Father. And three times they fell asleep. Now, uh, we can kind of understand why it had been a busy few days for them. I'm sure they were just exhausted. I suspect their intention was to stay awake. Uh, they probably almost accomplished that. But not quite. As we think about Jesus' interaction with the apostles, you know, as we look throughout their lifetime, Jesus really asked very little of his followers. He offered them much. He, he taught them. He modeled for them in word and in deed. Uh, he uh, encouraged them. He enlightened them. He inspired them. Uh, in his presence, they saw great things happen. They saw people healed and demons cast out. They saw thousands of people fed with just a few loaves and uh, fishes. Just before this particular uh, time, Jesus had been uh, with Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. He had done so much for them. He had, he had taught to them so much. And now at this one time, one of the few times he ever asked anything from them, they fall short. I think they almost accomplished that, but, but not quite. Now, did Jesus need them there with him in the garden? I'm always reluctant to use the word need in conjunction with, oh, with the Son of God or, or with God. Um, he, he was still God. Jesus was fully man, fully God. I don't know if, if, if need is the right word. He could have called down angels to have taken care of the situation. He could have, he could have uh, uh, translated or ascended into heaven to avoid those kinds of things. I don't know that he needed them. But he wanted them. In his humanness, his heart ached. His soul uh, cried out for someone to be there, to, uh, to just be with him in the midst of these difficult moments. And so he said those words, stay here and keep watch. Have you ever had those times in your life when it's been comforting for you to have someone who, who was there with you to keep watch? Most of us, I think, have had that at, at some point in our lives. 
you know, I don't think um, any of us uh, probably hopefully we'll have to go through what we've read about this past week that took place in, in Boulder, Colorado, where these 10 individuals were, were killed. But we've still had moments of heaviness, of, of heartache in our lives. We've probably either been in a, in a surgery ourselves or we've, we've been in the hospital when someone we loved has been in the midst of a surgery. There's been a medical crisis. Maybe there's been a family crisis. Maybe there's been some kind of emotional trauma that we've been through. And we know that somehow these painful, these difficult, uh, heart-wrenching times are made a little easier when there's just somebody that's there with us, beside us. I think it, it relates to that, that reality that we are relational beings. We, we find reassurance in having individuals there. And it's not even that we have to, to be there to say the right thing. Sometimes there isn't a right thing to say. Oftentimes, there isn't a right thing to say. It's just sitting beside them. It's just uh, putting an arm around or, or giving a hug or taking a hand or just, just sitting. And yet there's so much comfort that can come from that. And so much absence that's felt when it's not there. One of the, the hardest things I see as a, as a pastor, having done this for, for 30 plus years now, is on those occasions when I, I go to the hospital, either to pray with someone before surgery or to visit with them afterwards, and, and I walk in and there's nobody else in the room. Now, it's an honor for me to be able to pray with them. I, I, I appreciate the chance to, to do that, but my heart aches for them when there's no one to stand watch with them. No one to be beside them in the midst of those moments. Because there's just something that's extremely comforting about having someone else with us in our times of need. Whether it be at the hospital, sometimes oh, when things happen at home, I was a police chaplain for a number of years, and one of the things they taught us is when we would do death notifications, which we would do sometimes on our own, sometimes with police officers, that typically happens when a loved one has passed away in another state, and so the local police officers let the family members know. Uh, we were always taught to make sure that there's a, another person, either a family member or a friend, that can be there before we leave in recognition of the importance of having that other person there. It can happen when we're at the hospital. It can happen when we're at home. I know for me, um, on those numerous occasions where our car has broke down while we're on vacation, um, there's been something reassuring about having Anne there with me. Um, neither of us are mechanics. There's nothing that we were going to do to repair the vehicle. But just having another person seems to provide a sense of, of calmness, of peace to us. One of the, uh, the true regrets I will have in my life is I think of a couple years ago when my mom passed away. She passed away suddenly, um, somewhat unexpectedly. Her health had been declining, but, um, and I'd been down there actually for a month and then had returned home because I thought she was doing uh, pretty good. And uh, within just a few hours, she, uh, she succumbed and, and passed away. And the regret that I have is that I wasn't able to be there with my dad because he was there by himself. Now, in hindsight, I, I could never have known that those were the, the circumstances that were going to play out. But I feel so badly that he had to endure that on his own because I know, I know how important it is to have those present in our lives. All that Jesus asked of the disciples was that they stand watch with him for, for an hour while he prayed. 
They almost did it, but not quite. So what do these almost moments mean for us? How do these speak to our hearts, to our, to our lives, to our, our existence as a follower of Jesus? Well, there's a couple of things I think God maybe can prompt us to. And, and, and as we move into the season of reflecting and, and pondering, maybe this is a, a perfect time to do that. You see, some of us have too many almost events that have been a part of our existence Oh, well, we, we've almost started that Bible reading plan. We've almost gotten up early on a regular basis to do the devotionals. We've almost started attending or teaching that, that Sunday school class. We've almost helped out in, in the nursery. We've almost prayed with that woman that we saw on the, on the sidewalk that was crying as we walked by. We've almost helped that guy in front of us who, who unexpectedly ran out of money. We've almost done these things, but not quite. And maybe God is speaking to us this day to make some changes there. It's not that we didn't have the best of intentions. I'm sure uh, the disciples there in the garden had the best of intentions. But it was still an almost moment. Because one of the things that we know is that God cares about those almost moments. He gives us some passages that speak to this. In 1 John 3.18, we read this. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. Having empathetic hearts, having sympathetic minds is an important part of being who God has created us to be. But, but there's more as well. There's opportunities that God grants to us to make a difference, a tangible, physical difference in people's lives. Uh, James speaks a little bit more forcefully of the same idea in these, with these words in James 4. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. It's a sin. And, and so maybe God is calling us this morning to, to give some thought, to some consideration, to, uh, to moving beyond those almost occasions in our life to something different. To instead of thinking about how we almost accomplished this or almost did this or almost fulfilled this, this thing that God had led us to, we, we move from almost to nailed it, to nailed it. Instead of saying, uh, you know, I, I almost helped that, that person out who, who needed some help with their tree limbs because they fell because of the, of the recent ice storm. Instead of almost helping them, I did go over and I helped them. I nailed it. Instead of, of almost visiting those people that were there in the, in the nursing home that haven't had anybody visit them for a, a couple of months, I did that and I nailed it. Instead of almost praying for that person who told me that they're struggling with this illness the doctor just told them about, I did pray for them every day. I nailed it. I nailed it. Now, I'm, I'm not oblivious to the fact that nailing it has a little bit different meaning in this season as we think about Jesus. But, uh, but I want you to take something that goes beyond that and to give thought to maybe God is calling me and you to move beyond being an almost people to being a nailed it people. So that as people look back in our lives, just as we have done this morning, and I know it's so easy to look back on what people have done um, with a judgmental eye, but maybe as people look to our lives, maybe other church members, maybe our family members, maybe our kids, maybe others in the community, 
they'll look back and not say, boy, you know, he had a good heart. He had the best of intentions. He almost accomplished so much. And instead we'll say, boy, this is a guy that nailed it. He lived out his faith every single day. May God help us to be that person. May God help us to be that man and that woman and that teen that as the world sees us, they'll know that there's something different in us. Not because of our strength, not because of our goodness, but because of God's presence and power working through us. May that be true this day and every day. Amen.